0: Few people in the bulletin that we certainly need to to continue to to pray for, especially those uh, that are on the listed on this right hand side. There's a lot of people there that have things that have just been going on a long time, and we will mention them, and then we don't mention them, and then we will tend to forget them, and we really don't want to do that. Uh, Sharon Treadwell actually was here or is here. I saw her earlier, um, and it, it really. It looked like her and Robbie have gotten into it. That's what it looks like. She's black on one side and and uh, Robbie's on the other. So, But I was just really glad to see her here. It was a good thing. Uh, we want to uh, bring your attention to a couple of things that are coming up. The, the cookbook has been completed. There's a copy out on the table. The cost is $875. The deadline for paying for that is next Sunday, and that will be paid to Ann Healy. We want to thank her and Amber for that. Also, November 10th, there will be a chili uh, cook-off, soup, supper, or game night thing here in the fellowship room starting at 5. The potluck is next Sunday. And then also, uh, we had a note uh, this morning. We talked about uh, people considering going to the uh, as a group to the lectureship in February, February 4th through 8th. The 4th through the 8th at Freed University in Henderson, Tennessee. Um, If you're interested, please see David Mays or Josh Clearman. The subject matter was uh, the triumph of the Lamb, the battle of evil in Revelation. That is what the subject matter is at that lectureship. So in the foyer, you can find some previous year's lectureship schedules and kind of get an idea of what that's all about. Is there any other thing? Uh, Mary Nell called uh, or talked to Buddy a little bit ago, and she's doing much better. So um, that's that's a good thing. That's an answer to our prayers. If there's nothing else, would you uh, bow with me in prayer as we begin? Heavenly Father, we're thankful for this chance to be here, and we're thankful for the family that meets here. We're thankful, Father, that you are in control of all things because we look around us and so many things seem to be out of control. Some things seem to be heading right for the edge of the cliff at a breakneck speed, and we gasp because there seems to be nothing we can do about it. Father, we trust you. We trust your will will be done. We trust your will is active and working as we speak. We place our faith in you. We place our trust in you, our hope in you, And we have that hope because of the sacrifice of your son, Jesus. And it's through his name we pray. Amen. First song this evening, number
1: 195, How Sweet,
2: How Heavenly. How sweet, how heavenly is the sight when those that love the Lord in one another's peace, delight, and so fulfill the word. When each can fill his brother's sigh and with him bear a part. When some to heart love is the golden chain that binds the happy souls above and he's an heir of heaven who finds his bosom glow with love
1: before our message this evening Couldn't think of a better song that talks about the importance of evangelism and wanting to be a worker for the kingdom. I Want to Be a Worker, number 230, if you're using the book.
2: Sing all three verses. I want to be a worker for the Lord. I want to love and trust his holy word. I want to sing and pray and be busy every day in the vineyard of the Lord. I will work. to be a worker ever. Be a worker strong and brave. I want to trust in Jesus' power to save. All who will truly come shall find a happy home in the kingdom of the
3: appreciate the thoughtfulness in the songs, and as well as this morning, I thought this morning, just as I was musing over this morning, was a, a good time of worship, and I thought the scripture reading, of course, was great, right out of the gate. Songs and the singing were great. I know we don't do things just off of feeling or anything like that, but being here, it felt good. It was very enjoyable, and I enjoyed worshiping with you guys this morning and this evening already. We are continuing to talk about uh, evangelism and trying to, uh, not trying, we are motivating ourselves and one another and encouraging one another to get off the bench, so to speak, and get in the game, to, to tackle this big, it seems like this impossible task of can I be an evangelist? And of course the answer is yes, you can. Everybody is called to evangelize. Everyone is called to be an evangelist. And last week we left off talking about compassion, the need for compassion. If if we don't have compassion for the lost, if we don't have a a proper view of souls, how Jesus sees souls, how God sees souls that are lost and destitute and without him, then we're not going to be motivated to reach out to them. We, we can hear all day long, Matthew twenty eight eighteen and we can hear all day long, Acts 1, 8, you know, the different forms of the commission, Mark 16, go, right? And yeah, we're told to go, but if all we hear is that and we don't have the, the why behind it as well, if we don't work on our own selves and pray to God to have the right heart, to see the lost and to see the hurting, and then do something about it, we're just going to sit back and do nothing. And that's not our job, is it? We're not just supposed to sit back and say, boy, I sure hope that they get over it. Boy, I sure hope that they find their way. Our job is to go out to the lost and help them find their way. And so when it came to our compassion challenge, I was encouraged this week. I I had less time than I thought I would these past three or four weeks. And uh, I was encouraged, though, by you guys this past week. I won't name a lot of names or anything. But I heard from several of you all about how, yep, you started to see people differently this week. And yeah, I've started to initiate a conversation just to say, you know, getting to know more or less, or also just to, to start building that rapport and perhaps even, you know, reaching out for a Bible study or something uh, very near to that. And hearing that from you guys is encouraging to me. And I wanted to make sure that the rest of y'all heard it as well to know that we are going to do this thing. We're going to reach out to the lost continually. And we're not going to sit on the sideline. We're going to do what God has called us to do. And so, just real quick, let me ask this question because this is, you know, I I want you guys to talk back to me. I'm not necessarily just preaching uh, right now for this series. But what or who, in short, what or who did you see this week? Our challenge was to look out into the world and see the people we see every day and see the state of people. What and who kind of situations did you might have seen? Well, while you're warming up, I'll tell you what and who I've seen. What I've seen is a lot of people that are caught in the hustle and the bustle of life, ignoring things, ignoring people, trying to just get by just to to do their thing, get in and get out of places. They're there for themselves. But also seeing, and and I'm a people watcher. My wife is even more of a people watcher. You're know, you kind of out places and, and everything. And we're not eavesdroppers, I'll tell you that. But sometimes you hear things. And you hear the way that people talk. And in some sense, it is kind of depressing, the outlook they have on life or the outlook they have on the way the world is going. And... You can tell without them really asking the question. They're, they're looking for an answer. And everything else seems to fall short of an answer. That's what I've seen this week. What about you guys?
4: When, when you hear somebody speaking and realize that they're depressed over what's going on, they will appreciate a prayer, a prayer with
3: them. Yeah, they will appreciate a prayer with them, right? What else? I heard a couple voices. I thought I did. If I'm hearing voices, that's not good, is it? <laughs> well, this that was our compassion challenge. And it's, it should be a weekly challenge, I think, to see how you see people. And we're kind of building off of that this week, talking about evangelism, how it's illustrated. But that's the fancy way of saying, how did Jesus do evangelism? What did Jesus do? How did he reach out to the lost? And before we get into it, when you think about Jesus and the gospels and the things that he did, how did he go to seek and save the lost? Obviously, he went to the cross, but how did he interact with people? people? He had sympathy with them. Yeah. He saw their need and he tried to supply their need best he could and he did pretty good, right? There you go. Yeah, you got to build a relationship. Yeah. You're right, especially in today's world, right? You got to build that relationship there. And that's just about what Jesus did every single time. I heard a fight about Jesus. You know, he never condemned anyone. You
1: know, when a woman was taken to him and her daughter, he didn't condemn him. He told her
3: to go and no more. Yeah. But he didn't condemn Right. That's a good point. What... Right. See their situations, see how we can interact with them in their unique situations, right? What else would y'all say? How did Jesus do it? That's pretty good. Met, uh, the uh, mm-hmm. Yeah. and How so? Mm. Yeah. In Luke 10, when... Yeah, how do you read it, he said. And, and if there was any kind of pushback, okay, well, we're going to push back with Scripture, right? Yeah, good. Yeah, and a lot of it was you got to get to the relationship aspect, and then you get into the re- revelation aspect, the Word of God aspect. And that's part of what our uh, description, not our definition, our definition of apologetics. Sorry, y'all can tell what mode I was in. Our definition of evangelism. It comes from the word euangelion, which is good news or translated gospel, but euangelistes is is the word, and its root word is the good, and the good news where we get that from. So quite literally, to evangelize is to gospelize. That's our definition, and it requires us speaking about the good news about God. Now our description of it, evangelism is the developing of relationships that are strengthened through rapport. You know whoever it is that serves your donuts. You know whoever it is that serves your coffee or whoever it is that you meet at work. That you got a little bit of a relationship there, right? Is it a strong relationship? It could be, depending on your situation. But the idea is to strengthen the relationship wherever you are or your family members that, that might be kind of far off, not very close to, and build rapport, build trust, build respect, mutual trust mutual respect back and forth and that's a lot of what jesus did when he stepped into a situation when he stepped into the life of a person because then that enables the revelation of god's will and god's word into the life of the seeker allowing christ to be seen and taught and exhibited like you're saying unless there's a relationship there especially in today's world who's going to listen to me telling them, you've got to change your life, make a complete 180, and do all these different things, and you got to believe that God says this. Why would they listen to me? Why would they trust me? Just some, some average Joe schmo off the street or something like that, right? There's a one in a hundred chance that someone might. But for the most part, there needs to be a relationship growing and happening there, being strengthened and the rapport being strengthened. And as a result, you and I, throughout this process, we are participating in the scheme of redemption and the kingdom of God grows by our own growing more into the likeness of Christ as well as disciples being made and disciples coming to a knowledge of the truth and becoming Christians after that. And so that's what we're going to see Jesus doing here in three places. And I like to kind of ask this question, which one are we in these stories? And this will make sense as we go, but look first with me in Luke 18. We're going to look at three narratives where Jesus is evangelizing, where Jesus is reaching out to uh, the hurting. Luke 18, the next one will be right after that, Luke 19. These are stories I think that you are familiar with. If not, I might have to go get me some batteries here in just a second. That's all right. Luke 18, verse 35 through 43. Where Jesus comes across this this blind man, this blind beggar as he is on his way to Jericho. Y'all there? We're going to read through this just as one block right here. As he drew near to Jericho, a blind man was sitting by the roadside begging. And hearing a crowd going by, he inquired what this meant. And they told him, Jesus of Nazareth is passing by. And he cried out, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. All right, so already right out of the gate. This guy's situation is not very good, right? Yes, he's blind. Is that necessarily awful? No, but he's also a beggar. Okay, so he's had a hard life. He's got two major things working against him. Three being also, he probably recognizes the sin that he might have in his life. But you know what verse 38 tells us? Because verse 37, they say it's Jesus of Nazareth passing by. Well, he's already heard about him because he's saying Jesus, son of David. They didn't say that. So he's heard about this guy. He knows that this must be the Messiah from the things that he has heard. Does he fully understand that when he says that? I don't know. Maybe he does. Maybe he doesn't. But that's what he cries out. Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. He knows who this guy is, I think. And those who were in front rebuked him, telling him to be silent. But he cried out all the more, son of David, have mercy on me. What is the need for mercy? Why mercy? Why does someone need mercy? If we don't have mercy when well, we stand before God, and we're in Yeah, but, but why do we need mercy? You're right. Because we're at fault. Because we're at fault for something, right? Mercy is don't give me what I deserve. Have mercy on me. You know, there's other uh, stories that would say, have mercy on me, the sinner, as he would say in a parable. And so I asked the question at first, which one are we? Because there's three people at play in this story, I would say. Jesus, verse 40, stopped and commanded him to be brought to him. We know that Jesus is the evangelist in this, right? Right? I mean, that's going to be pretty clear. He's the evangelist, he's the one that's reaching out. He's the one that's going to reach out and step into this person's life. But you know what? Which are we in the sh- evangelist? Or are we in the shoes of the blind beggar that needs mercy? Or are we in the shoes of the crowd that was telling this other guy that's an inconvenience, hush, we we want the time with Jesus to ourselves? You see what I'm saying? Because I think that that same crowd is going to pop up in the next story as well. And so... If we honestly ask the question, we might not like the answer sometimes, and we we might honestly like the answer if we are saying, yes, I'm trying so hard to be the evangelist that I need to be. Thank you. Right. Right. The trust is needed there. That's where the relationship and, and the rapport comes in. And so he continues on, verse 41. What do you want me to do for you? What can I do for you is, is the question, right? He said, Lord, let me recover my sight. That's some pretty good faith. That's some pretty good belief in this person that he's never met before, but the things that he's heard, all the healing and all the miracles, all the power. And Jesus said to him, recover your sight. Your faith has made you well. And immediately he recovered his sight and followed him glorifying God and all the people when they saw it gave praise to God. And so here's what Jesus does. He's going to do this twice or three times in what we look at. First, he's going to stop and he's going to connect. There's the relationship. He's going to, he's on his way to Jericho. He's got something to do. He's got a mission in mind, right? There's things that he's doing in his daily life right now. But he is part of his mission. And so he's going to stop and recognize him and connect with him. There's where the relationship begins. He's going to connect with those that perhaps others would just pass up. And these others were passing him up. He, they were trying to silence him. They're just saying you're an inconvenience. There is a whole slew of people in this world that people view as an inconvenience. But they are perhaps some of the ripest for the harvest for Jesus. Because Jesus wants to give those same people everything as well, just as the other people. And so here, he's reaching out to him to develop this relationship, to start this. He connects with him. And then he strengthens it. He builds the rapport by connecting with him deeper, by being real, by being personable with the same person, unique to his situation. What can I do for you? What is it that you need Where can I meet you? I need to meet you where you're at. What is it you're struggling with? He's struggling, perhaps, with all kinds of things. Of course, with his sight, there's a lot of lessons we can take from here. But at this point, whenever he heals him, he's sharing the power of God, and he's showing his excellence, and so people are going to start to listen to him more. But they're also glorifying God as a result, verse 43. Glorifying God and all the people when they saw it too, they gave glory to God. So we got the relationship. We got the rapport started as well. Then you got the revelation aspect, the revealing and the word of God, the will of God entering into his life. And the result of it, God is being praised. The second one, Luke 19, verse 1 through 10. Zacchaeus, the wee little man, right? Y'all have heard of him before perhaps. He entered Jericho and was passing through. And behold, there was a man named Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and was rich. All right, imagine I've, I've not ever heard this before, but how did they feel about tax collectors? Everyone's like, oh. <laughs> how do we feel about tax collectors? Oh, no. Well, why did they really not like tax collectors? They cheated people, they cheated people right? They, they took more from them than they were supposed to and pocketed that extra, huh? And perhaps, not perhaps, this guy did the same thing for a time. Verse 3, and he was seeking to see who Jesus was. Maybe he hadn't really heard of him. Maybe he had heard of him, but maybe not as much as the previous guy. I need to check this guy out, he might be thinking. But on account of the crowd, he could not because he was small in stature. Zacchaeus, the wee little man, there you go. So he ran on ahead and climbed up into a sycamore tree to see him, for he was about to pass that way. That's, that's pretty intense, I guess you could say. There's not a lot of us grown men that are willing to climb a tree just to see somebody. But he certainly was. He wanted to get a glimpse of this guy, just a glimpse perhaps. And when Jesus came to the place, he looked up and said to him, so first the same thing that he did before was he stopped and he connected with him. Again, he's already on his way. There's a crowd around, but he stopped and connected with him. Do you notice that the crowd is there as well? He couldn't get a glimpse because of the crowd. The crowd, this guy's an inconvenience. He looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, hurry and come down, for I must stay at your house today. What's a good way to build relationship and deepen trust and respect with somebody? Spend intimate time with them, right? And get to know them. And you know what? I would also say there should be a fair bit of give and take. You know, this guy can help me out. And I can help him out in some ways, right? And then some respect really starts to grow. It's not just somebody that's just trying to annoy me and offer things and offer things. And I'm not just somebody that's just trying to take and take and take, right? There's a mutual kind of going back and forth and rapport and relationship being built and trust along the way, doing something for one another. But you know, I also like the the phrase of, if you really want to get to know somebody, get their feet under your table, right? That's what's happening here as well. Come down for I must stay at your house today. Verse 6. So he hurried and came down and received him joyfully. I like that. And when he saw it, or excuse me, when they saw it, they all grumbled. He has gone in to be the guest of a man who is a sinner. That's a lot of what is said today sometimes, right? And about Jesus over and over again. How can he sit and eat with, with tax collectors and sinners, right? Why would he do such a thing? You know... We are supposed to be salt and light to the dark part of the world. A fair bit of our time as Christians does require us to be around the lost. Now, you got to use wisdom and discernment, places you go, things you do, and amount of time spent. Uh, One of my coaches, I'll never forget this, one of his phrases was, if you hang around trash long enough, you're going to start to smell like it. Make sense? Isn't there a proverb it says, "Good, uh, bad company corrupts good morals. I'm, I'm blanking on which chapter and verse, but it's there. Trust me, go read it later. And the idea here is there is a need to be around the lost. Yes, and they didn't understand this. They thought, well, we just got to keep them good and stay and, and keep the good to ourselves, right? And not go out here. We, we can't go out to these dirty, sinful, awful people, but those are exactly who needs the sick. Uh, the, the sick are the ones that need the physician, right? Verse 8, and Zacchaeus stood and said to the Lord, Behold, Lord, half of my goods I give to the poor, and if I have defrauded anyone of anything, I restore it fourfold. So he's done something in his past. And all we read was, let's have dinner together, okay? We're having dinner together, and everyone's complaining. Something in this dinner was talked about. Something in this time together was touched on. There was a spiritual truth. There was there was a Bible class, a, a Bible study, I guess you could say, that took place where Jesus, he knows this guy. And he's going to speak right to his heart so that he could change and have the spiritual nourishment that he needs. And it looks like he got it. And he realized and he needed to change. And so he's willing to change. And then verse 9, Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house since he is also a son of Abraham. For the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. Another aspect to this, the relationship and the rapport here, there's this kindness, this compassion, this kindness that is needed, seeing the person and entering into their world and eventually being able to share salvation, eventually able to share the good news that is needed by Jesus. And there's somebody... This third story that really, really had a void in her life. In John chapter 4, we see the famous story, the woman at the well. And boy, did she have a void. And she tried to fill it. Do y'all remember what she tried to fill it with? She had five husbands, and the man you're with now is not your husband, Jesus said. And so, and, and there's a lesson there too. We'll get there here in just a second. But when we see the failings of the world, and we see that the answers that they run to aren't getting it done, does that drive you forward more? Does the compassion take over and push you further into the world to reach out into the world? I would argue that to a degree it certainly needs to. Look in verse 4. He had to pass through Samaria, so he came to a town of Samaria called uh, Sikar, uh, near the field that Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there. So Jesus, wearied as he was from his journey, was sitting beside the well, and it was about the sixth hour. Here you do see the humanity of Jesus as well. Jesus is fully man, but Jesus is also 100% God. But at this time, the travel and the journey, you see that he's in need of something, right? And so what we said in a minute ago, this this give and take, do something for me, do something for you, starts to build rapport, that really shows itself here as well. Verse 7, a woman from Samaria came to draw water, and Jesus said to her, give me a drink. That's what he said to her. And so tell me about the Samaritans and the Jews' relationship. How was it? Not very great, right? In fact, they'd often avoid Samaria altogether if they could. They, they wouldn't really go through there unless they had no other choice. And you know, here in this, this instance, Jesus is demonstrating his constant, his gracious, his cross-cultural love and compassion for those who live daily. This woman's living daily in a place that is longing and needing the nourishment that Jesus offers spiritually. In this woman's situation, she's hurting, but she's trying not to show it. We don't see it just yet, but we're going to. She's socially ostracized, which is evident by the fact that she came to the well at this time of day in the hopes that no one else was there. But why? Well, at least in part for the fact of her many husbands and the one she's with is not her husband. And so there's not just this situational and, and cultural conflict between the Jew and the Samaritan at first, but she also had this ache and this crave and this yearning, this thirst, if you will, for the things by which the soul is refreshed and needs to be strengthened. And you and I as people, we can relate well to that, at least we should if we think about to what we were like before Jesus. And we see the world trying to fill the voids and the hurts with anything and everything or anyone under the sun. And Jesus here will use both his and her physical thirst to address a spiritual thirst. He goes on, verse 7. "'Give me a drink, for his disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, "'How is it that you, a Jew, ask for a drink from me, a woman of Samaria?' for Jews had no dealings with Samaritans. Jesus answered her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is that is saying to you, Give me a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. And the woman said to him, Sir, you have nothing to draw the water with. The well is deep. Where are you going to get this living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob? And of course the answer is yes, right? He gave us the well and drank from it himself, as did his sons and his livestock. And Jesus said to her, everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again, but whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty again. The water that I will give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. And the woman said to him, sir, give me this water so that I will not be thirsty or have to come back here to draw water. Don't you like that? I don't want to have to come back here to do this. I don't want to have to go thirsty anymore. She's not quite getting what he's saying, though, of course. And in this instance, she is somebody that is uh, spiritually confused and, and troubled in her understanding. Verse 16, Jesus is going to address the heart of the matter almost. He's just going to go right to it. Jesus said to her, go call your husband and come here. And the woman answered, I have no husband. And Jesus said to her, you are right in saying I have no husband, for you have had five husbands, and the one you have now is not your husband. What you have said is true. And so here's a portion of the power of God just in his knowing that he's showing her, as well as the other truths that he's saying. The woman said to him, sir, I I perceive that you're a prophet. You bet. That's what I would add, a little verse right there maybe, or a little note. Our fathers worshiped on this mountain, but you say that in Jerusalem. So, okay, I see that you're a prophet. I see that you know, you know what, I got a bone to pick with you. Our fathers worshiped on this mountain, but you say that in Jerusalem is the place where people ought to worship. So she's got other qualms as well. She wants to address these other uh, spiritual discussions and in, in these other uh, Bible topics, I guess. But Jesus just cuts to it. He cuts around it. He addresses it, but he cuts around it to get to the heart of the matter. Woman, believe me, the hour is coming when neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem will you worship the Father. You worship what you do not know. We worship what we know. For salvation is from the Jews. But the hour is coming and is now here when true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For the Father is seeking such people to worship him. And so at all of this, the conversation goes on. I know you've heard the story and you've studied it recently. But she had trouble understanding this. And Jesus' statements right after her trouble was was penetrating. It touched the very core of her being. And it addressed her very specific situation. Now, I have absolutely no problem with, there's different ways that you can evangelize and different methods. You know, there's different uh, studies you can take someone on. There's different tracks. You know, y'all know what I'm talking about. And all those are good, and I think they're useful for sure. But at the same time, what we got to do in order to be evangelists like Jesus is make sure that we address the person specifically and meet them where they are specifically and be more personable in that, not just kind of go through a checklist of a study. If we need it, great, yeah, we'll do that. But if we need to address something very personal like with this person, absolutely. The woman said to him, verse 25, I know that Messiah is coming, who is called Christ. And when he comes, he will tell us all things. And Jesus said to her, I who speak to you am he. And then an amazing thing happens after all of this conversation. She, of course, believes. And then she turns into being a messenger herself. Almost right away, it would seem. She's overjoyed at who she's found. She's overjoyed about what in the person of Christ, what in the Messiah she has come into contact with. She is excited about that, that she realizes this is the living water that he has referred to and that he has given the living water being the word of God and addressed me personally and my needs personally and my problems personally. And so the words result in her life transformed her from broken too bold from a person that was hiding from the crowds to a person that says, Over down in, oh, what verse is it? I'm, I'm losing my verse here. Verse 29, come and see a man who told me all that I ever did. Can this be the Christ? And they went out of the town and were coming to him. Before she's avoiding everybody. And now she's turned from someone so touched by Jesus and touched by the message of Jesus to saying and going to them, come and see, come and see this person. And you see the harvest start to take place here. He sowed the seeds and he reaped a messenger to his cause. One sows, others reaps here, and all the efforts are bringing God glory. And so part of this application that I see here for evangelism is to sow, of course, the goodness and the kindness and the relevance of the message in people's lives. And don't forget, and this is where we began a couple weeks back, don't forget what we used to be away from Jesus. Can you guys remember that? If you're having trouble, remember it. Go read Colossians chapter 1. Don't forget where we were away from him. Because if we forget that, We forget the joy that we had when we came to him, when we were saved. And if we remember the joy of coming into contact with Jesus, we're going to look like this woman, or we're going to look like the demon-possessed man we talked about last week that went away proclaiming Jesus and everything that he had said and everything that he had did. Don't forget about the joy that it is to be in Christ and use that as motivation to tell somebody the message and not to hide from the crowds. I know there's probably a few people chomping at the bit. Does anybody want to add anything here before we move on? Yes, sir. Now it's not you, it's him. Right. Yeah.
0: So she was really good about not
3: making it about her. But the yeah, the idea is to bring him to Jesus. <laughs> Get me out of the way. Let me just push it towards that relationship, right? Yeah, good point. What else? Yes, sir. And so the idea is, your job is to what? Sow the seed. Are the results up to me? No. But I get to take part in the results, and that's awesome. But the results at the end of the day, me and David and Mays were talking about this prior to worship beginning. The results at the end of the day are between the hearer and God. At the end of the day, it's up to them. I have felt like a failure before whenever I couldn't convince somebody. right and I felt like a success whenever we gain a new brother or a new sister. But at the end of the day those feelings that are there it's it's a good thing to have them because that means you got the compassion it means you're tied to it emotionally as we should be but don't count yourself down and out because in this I, I keep using the sports uh, uh, analogy. Well let me go to this last point because I want to apply this. And challenge like we had our compassion challenge and do an evangelism challenge now of sorts. But you know today um, I was watching the Cowboys and, and one of the things you notice in, in any sport really that's doing real good or a team that's doing really good is there's a pretty large amount of positive energy that comes from the team, Right? If they're going into it jazzed up, they're going into it pumped up, and they stay pumped up, and they're not overly frustrated at one another and just giving up and quitting over here, the team's going to do good, and it's going to continue to do good. And even if they don't win, they're going to do the best that they can if that's everyone's attitude and mentality there. You win some, and you lose some. But in the same way, If the member of the team's heart and effort isn't in it, then the whole team suffers and and limps along to some degree. And there are none of us who are in Christ who are on the bench. I said that in the beginning, and I'll say it again now. We've got to have the same goal of winning just one more, one more soul, and having that amazing energy going out to achieve that. And we're each called to see, as we talked about before, and as we see Jesus do it today, He stopped, he saw, and he connected with the hurting and those that were seeking, and he sympathized with them, he served them, and he shared life with them and the Word of God as well. And so here's something that I kind of thought up of. Well, maybe if you don't meet somebody new, at least say hi to those that you see. Stop and address people, not just hide in the crowd or hide away from the crowd Now, you can say, well, Josh, that's really simple. Well, yes, but again, in today's world, and especially during COVID, no one wanted you to do that right there, and no one wanted to do that right there. And post-COVID, some people are still even stressed out about doing that. But evangelism starts with people, If you don't talk to people, you won't evangelize. And so it might seem elementary, but at the end of the day, it's got to be reminded. I've got to say hi to those that I see. I've got to have some kind of relationship with those that I might see every day or at least on a weekly basis or a bi-weekly basis. And perhaps I go a little bit deeper past that and ask someone how their day is and if there's anything I can pray about for them. And so now I'm addressing the spiritual. I'm going past the surface level and I'm addressing the spiritual it's, it's a lot easier to do when you're at a, a restaurant or something when things are not like busy lunch or busy dinner. You know, if you're kind of at a, a relaxed kind of time, you ask your, your waitress or your waiter, is there anything we can pray about for you? And sometimes you'll, you'll hear, no, nothing really. And sometimes they'll show, well, my mother, you know, or, well, I have this kind of going on in my family. All right. Y'all see the connection we're making, right? And then you start to say, okay. Well, we're going to keep praying about that past here, but how about you pray with us right now, too, about this. And then, if you're bold, and you are, invite multiple people, as many as you can find, one at least, to a study, to a Bible class, without worrying about the response. Just worry about saying, the, as the woman said, the come and see. Uh-oh. We're panicking. (laughs) I got to invite people to study with me, or I got to invite people, right? Now, I wouldn't say that evangelism is necessarily just inviting people to church. I never have really thought that, especially if the definition of evangelism is speaking the good news about Jesus. Well, that's up to me to do, right? But perhaps, if this is an easy segue for you, come with me, let's worship together, then let's go have a conversation about whatever Josh said that was wrong or okay, and whatever the songs that we sang and the things that we did and whatever else, and have the conversations move forward from there. That's my challenge for myself and for you guys this week, as well as a continued compassion challenge of seeing people and recognizing those daily in our lives that perhaps we can do these three steps with. Is there anything you guys would like to add before we close? It's
4: really in
3: God's hands. It's in God's hands.
0: Experience. Yep. Will
3: do that for yep. I just gotta be looking, Michael that was Philip, yeah. that was Philip huh that was Philip.
4: The, I don't, I don't.
3: Philip the evangelist says it says.
4: Exactly.
3: making sure they understand yes sir
4: and if you put on the characteristic of of Christ uh, it it is better to win them over to that nature Mm -hmm. agreed because if they're going to uh, follow your example you certainly don't want to lead them astray
3: right yeah And we don't need a situation like 1 corinthians 1 you know i follow paul i follow peter follows right larry were you going to say something okay well at this time we want to offer an invitation during this time where if you need prayers or help of any kind we want to assist you and help you um, and so if you need anything from us let us know as we stand together and sing
2: when we walk with the
1: Is there anyone tonight that needs to partake of the Lord's Supper? Okay, we'll sing number 682, Lead Me to Calvary. We'll sing the first and last verse to prepare our minds for that.
2: King of my life, I crown thee now. Thine shall the glory be. Lest I forget thy thorn crown brow. Lead me to Calvary forget Gethsemane, lest I forget thine agony, lest I forget thy love for me, lead me to Calvary. May I be willing, Lord, to bear daily my cross for thee. Even thy cup of grief to share, thou hast borne all for me. Lest I forget Gethsemane, lest I forget thine agony, lest I forget thy love for me.
5: we see a show of hands again pray with me dear heavenly father so thank you today and many blessings fathers we gather around this table tonight and we pray you should be the ones who partake of this bread that represents your son's body as you hang on across the calvary for our sins we pray heavenly father that they partake in a manner that's pleasing to thy sight in christ's name amen
4: Let us pray. Lord, as, as we take this cup, let us remember that it represents the blood that was shed on the cross for our sins. In Jesus' name, amen.
5: We also have an opportunity to give back, so we've been blessed. If you would, pray with me. Dear Heavenly Father, we're so thankful for all the blessings in our life. We know that everything that we have comes from you, and we pray, Heavenly Father, as we give back a portion that you've blessed us with, that we give back with a loving heart, and we pray, Heavenly Father, that you be with the things done with this money, that it's done pleasing to thy sight, and. Advances your kingdom in Christ's name. Amen. The tray will be put out in the for
0: Although it was uh it is rainy and kind of dreary today, it's been a really good day. Good day to be a Christian, good day to be here, and good day to be part of this family. If there's anything else, what would you pray with? Heavenly Father, we ask that you would show yourself in strength and power to the world. And Father, as we go into this week, whether it be at school or at work or whatever the various tasks and ways that we go, that we don't leave you here, that we don't leave our faith here, we don't leave our enthusiasm, our love, our knowledge, our wisdom, we don't just leave it here that we carry what we know and learn here from this family and from your word. We carry it with us wherever we go. And that we look for opportunities for people that are searching for you, because we might be the one, Father, that you have sent specifically for them. So help us, Father, to never leave you here. Take, Take you with us everywhere we go. We know you have told us you will be with us always. Just help us to have the courage to be with you always. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.